chapter fifty seven of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray chapter fifty seven foreign ground worthy major pendennis fulfilled his promise to warrington so far as to satisfy his own conscience and in so far to ease poor helen with regard to her son as to make her understand that all connection between arthur and the odious little gatekeeper was at an end and that she need have no further anxiety with respect to an imprudent attachment or a degrading marriage on pen's part and that young fellow's mind was also relieved after he had recovered the shock to his vanity by thinking that miss fanny was not going to die of love for him and that no unpleasant consequences were to be apprehended from the luckless and brief connection so the whole party were free to carry into effect their projected continental trip and arthur pendennis rentier voyageant avec madame pendennis and mademoiselle bell and george warrington particulier âge de trente-deux ans taille six pieds anglais figure ordinaire cheveux noirs barbe diadem etc procured passports from the consul of h m the king of the belgians at dover and passed over from that port to ostend whence the party took their way leisurely visiting bruges and ghent on their way to brussels and the rhine it is not our purpose to describe this oft-travelled tour or laura's delight at the tranquil and ancient cities which she saw for the first time or helen's wonder and interest at the Beguin convents which they visited or the almost terror with which she saw the black-veiled nuns with outstretched arms kneeling before the illuminated altars and beheld the strange pomps and ceremonials of the catholic worship barefooted friars in the streets crowned images of saints and virgins in the churches before which people were bowing down and worshipping in direct defiance as she held of the written law priests in gorgeous robes or lurking in dark confessionals theatres opened and people dancing on sundays all these new sights and manners shocked and bewildered the simple country lady and when the young men after their evening drive or walk returned to the widow and her adopted daughter they found their books of devotion on the table and at their entrance laura would commonly cease reading some of the psalms or the sacred pages which of all others helen loved the late events connected with her son had cruelly shaken her laura watched with intense though hidden anxiety every movement of her dearest friend and poor pen was most constant and affectionate in waiting upon his mother whose wounded bosom yearned with love towards him though there was a secret between them and an anguish or rage almost on the mother's part to think that she was dispossessed somehow of her son's heart or that there were recesses in it which she must not or dared not enter she sickened as she thought of the sacred days of boyhood when it had not been so when her arthur's heart had no secrets 
and she was his all in all when he poured his hopes and pleasures his childish griefs vanities triumphs into her willing and tender embrace when her home was his nest still and before fate selfishness nature had driven him forth on wayward wings to range his own flight to sing his own song and to seek his own home and his own mate watching this devouring care and racking disappointment in her friend laura once said to helen if pen had loved me as you wished i should have gained him but i should have lost you mamma i know i should and i like you to love me best men do not know what it is to love as we do i think and helen sighing agreed to this portion of the young lady's speech though she protested against the former part for my part i suppose miss laura was right in both statements and with regard to the latter assertion especially that it is an old and received truism love is an hour with us it is all night and all day with a woman damon has taxes sermon parade tailor's bills parliamentary duties and the deuce knows what to think of delia has to think about damon damon is the oak or the post and stands up and delia is the ivy or the honeysuckle whose arms twine about him is it not so delia is it not your nature to creep about his feet and kiss them to twine round his trunk and hang there and damon's to stand like a british man with his hands in his breeches pocket while the pretty fond parasite clings round him old pendennis had only accompanied our friends to the water's edge and left them on board the boat giving the chief charge of the little expedition to warrington he himself was bound on a brief visit to the house of a great man a friend of his after which sojourn he proposed to join his sister-in-law at the german watering-place whither the party was bound the major himself thought that his long attentions to his sick family had earned for him a little relaxation and though the best of the partridges were thinned off the pheasants were still to be shot at stillbrook where the noble owner still was old pendennis betook himself to that hospitable mansion and disported there with great comfort to himself a royal duke some foreigners of note some illustrious statesmen and some pleasant people visited it it did the old fellow's heart good to see his name in the morning post amongst the list of the distinguished company which the marquis of steyne was entertaining at his country house at stillbrook he was a very useful and pleasant personage in a country house he entertained the young men with queer little anecdotes and grivazes stories on their shooting parties or in their smoking-room where they laughed at him and with him he was obsequious with the ladies of a morning in the rooms dedicated to them he walked the new arrivals about the park and gardens and showed them the carte du pays and where there was the best view of the mansion and where the most favourable point to look at the lake he showed where the timber was to be felled and where the old road went before the new bridge was built and the hill cut down and where the place in the wood was where old lord lynx discovered sir phelim o'neill on his knees before her ladyship 
etc etc he called the lodge-keepers and gardeners by their names he knew the number of domestics that sat down in the housekeeper's room and how many dined in the servants hall he had a word for everybody and about everybody and a little against everybody he was invaluable in a country house in a word and richly merited and enjoyed his vacation after his labours and perhaps whilst he was thus deservedly enjoying himself with his country friends the major was not ill-pleased at transferring to warrington the command of the family expedition to the continent and thus perforce keeping him in the service of the ladies a servitude which george was only too willing to undergo for his friend's sake and for that of a society which he found daily more delightful warrington was a good german scholar and was willing to give miss laura lessons in the language who was very glad to improve herself though pen for his part was too weak or lazy now to resume his german studies warrington acted as courier and interpreter warrington saw the baggage in and out of ships inns and carriages managed the money matters and put the little troop into marching order warrington found out where the english church was and if mrs pendennis and miss laura were inclined to go thither walked with great decorum along with them warrington walked by mrs pendennis's donkey when that lady went out on her evening excursions or took carriages for her or got galignani for her or devised comfortable seats under the lime-trees for her when the guests paraded after dinner and the curseo band at the bath where our tired friends stopped performed their pleasant music under the trees many a fine whiskered prussian or french dandy come to the bath for the trente et quarante cast glances of longing towards the pretty fresh-coloured english girl who accompanied the pale widow and would have longed to take a turn with her at the gallop or the waltz but laura did not appear in the ballroom except once or twice when pen vouchsafed to walk with her and as for warrington that rough diamond had not had the polish of a dancing-master and he did not know how to waltz though he would have liked to learn if he could have had such a partner as laura such a partner pshaw what had a stiff bachelor to do with partners and waltzing what was he about dancing attendance here drinking in sweet pleasure at a risk he knows not of what after sadness and regret and lonely longing but yet he stayed on you would have said he was the widow's son to watch his constant care and watchfulness of her or that he was an adventurer and wanted to marry her fortune or at any rate that he wanted some very great treasure or benefit from her and very likely he did for ours as the reader has possibly already discovered is a selfish story and almost every person according to his nature more or less generous than george and according to the way of the world as it seems to us is occupied about number one so warrington selfishly devoted himself to helen who selfishly devoted herself to pen who selfishly devoted himself to himself at this present period having no other personage or object to occupy him except indeed his mother's health which gave him a serious and real disquiet but though they sat together they did not talk much and the cloud was always between them every day laura looked for warrington and received him with more frank and eager welcome he found himself talking to her 
as he didn't know himself that he could talk he found himself performing acts of gallantry which astounded him after the performance he found himself looking blankly in the glass at the crow's feet round his eyes and at some streaks of white in his hair and some intrusive silver bristles in his grim blue beard he found himself looking at the young bucks at the bath at the bland tight-waisted germans at the capering frenchmen with their lacquered mustachios and trim varnished boots at the english dandies penned amongst them with their calm domineering air and insolent languor and envied each one of these some excellence or quality of youth or good looks which he possessed and of which warrington felt the need and every night as the night came he quitted the little circle with greater reluctance and retiring to his own lodging in their neighbourhood felt himself the more lonely and unhappy the widow could not help seeing his attachment she understood now why major pendennis always a tacit enemy of her darling project had been so eager that warrington should be of their party laura frankly owned her great her enthusiastic regard for him and arthur would make no movement arthur did not choose to see what was going on or did not care to prevent or actually encouraged it she remembered his often having said that he could not understand how a man proposed to a woman twice she was in torture at secret feud with her son of all objects in the world the dearest to her in doubt which she dared not express to herself about laura averse to warrington the good and generous no wonder that the healing waters of rosenbad did not do her good or that dr von clauber the bath physician when he came to visit her found that the poor lady made no progress to recovery meanwhile pen got well rapidly slept with immense perseverance twelve hours out of the twenty-four ate huge meals and at the end of a couple of months had almost got back the bodily strength and weight which he had possessed before his illness after they had passed some fifteen days at their place of rest and refreshment a letter came from major pendennis announcing his speedy arrival at rosenbad and soon after the letter the major himself made his appearance accompanied by morgan his faithful valet without whom the old gentleman could not move when the major travelled he wore a jaunty and juvenile travelling costume to see his back still you would have taken him for one of the young fellows whose slim waist and youthful appearance warrington was beginning to envy it was not until the worthy man began to move that the observer remarked that time had weakened his ancient knees and had unkindly interfered to impede the action of the natty little varnished boots in which the gay old traveller still pinched his toes there were magnates both of our own country and of foreign nations present that autumn at rosenbad the elder pendennis read over the stranger's list with great gratification on the night of his arrival was pleased to find several of his acquaintances among the great folks and would have the honour of presenting his nephew to a german grand duchess a russian princess and an english marquis before many days were over nor was pen by any means averse to making the acquaintance of these great personages having a liking for polite life and all the splendours and amenities belonging to it that very evening the resolute old gentleman leaning on his nephew's arm 
made his appearance in the halls of the kursaal and lost or won a napoleon or two at the table of trente et quarante he did not play to lose he said or to win but he did as other folks did and betted his napoleon and took his luck as it came he pointed out the russians and spaniards gambling for heaps of gold and denounced their eagerness as something sordid and barbarous an english gentleman should play where the fashion is play but should not elate or depress himself at the sport and he told how he had seen his friend the marquis of steyne win lord gaunt lose eighteen thousand at a sitting and break the bank three nights running at paris without ever showing the least emotion at his defeat or victory and that's what i call being an english gentleman pen my dear boy the old gentleman said warming as he prattled about his recollections what i call the great manner only remains with us and with a few families in france and as russian princesses passed him whose reputation had long ceased to be doubtful and damaged english ladies who are constantly seen in company of their faithful attendant for the time being in these gay haunts of dissipation the old major with eager garrulity and mischievous relish told his nephew wonderful particulars regarding the lives of these heroines and diverted the young man with a thousand scandals egad he felt himself quite young again he remarked to pen as rouged and grinning her enormous chasseur behind her bearing her shawl the princess obstropsky smiled and recognized and accosted him he remembered her in fourteen when she was an actress of the paris boulevard and the emperor alexander's aide-de-camp obstropsky a man of great talents who knew a good deal about the emperor's paul's death and was a devil to play married her he most courteously and respectfully asked leave to call upon the princess and to present to her his nephew mr arthur pendennis and he pointed out to the latter a half-dozen of other personages whose names were as famous and whose histories were as satisfying what would poor helen have thought could she have heard those tales or known to what kind of people her brother-in-law was presenting her son only once leaning on arthur's arm she had passed through the room where the green tables were prepared for play and the croaking croupiers were calling out their fatal words of rouge gagne and couleur paired she had shrunk terrified out of the pandemonium imploring pen extorting from him a promise on his word of honour that he would never play at those tables and the scene which so frightened the simple widow only amused the worldly old veteran and made him young again he could breathe the air cheerfully which stifled her her right was not his right his food was her poison human creatures are constituted thus differently and with this variety the marvellous world is peopled to the credit of mr pen let it be said that he kept honestly the promise made to his mother and stoutly told his uncle of his intention to abide by it when the major arrived his presence somehow cast a damp upon at least three of the persons of our little party upon laura who had anything but respect for him upon warrington whose manner towards him showed an involuntary haughtiness and contempt and upon the timid and alarmed widow who dreaded lest he should interfere with her darling though almost desperate projects for her boy and indeed the major unknown to himself was the bearer of tidings which were to bring about a catastrophe in the affairs of all our friends pen with his two ladies had apartments in the town of rosenbach honest warrington had lodgings hard by the major on arrival at rosenbach had as befitted his dignity taken his quarters at one of the great hotels 
at the roman emperor or the four seasons where two or three hundred gamblers pleasure-seekers or invalids sat down and overate themselves daily at the enormous table d'hote to this hotel ben went on the morning after the major's arrival dutifully to pay his respects to his uncle and found the latter's sitting-room duly prepared and arranged by mr morgan with the major's hats brushed and his coats laid out his dispatch-boxes and umbrella-cases his guide-books passports maps and other elaborate necessaries of the english traveller all as trim and ready as they could be in their master's own room in jermyn street everything was ready from the medicine bottle fresh filled from the pharmacien down to the old fellow's prayer-book without which he never travelled for he made a point of appearing at the english church at every place which he honoured with a stay everybody did it he said every english gentleman did it and this pious man would as soon have thought of not calling upon the english ambassador in a continental town as of not showing himself at the national place of worship the old gentleman had been to take one of the baths for which rosenbach is famous and which everybody takes and his after-bath toilet was not yet completed when pan arrived the elder called out to arthur in a cheery voice from the inner apartment in which he and morgan were engaged and the valet presently came in bearing a little packet to pen's address mr arthur's letters and papers morgan said which he had brought from mr arthur's chambers in london and which consisted chiefly of numbers of the pell-mell gazette which our friend mr finucane thought his collaborateur would like to see the papers were tied together the letters in an envelope addressed to pen in the last-named gentleman's handwriting amongst the letters there was a little note addressed as a former letter we have heard of had been to arthur pendennis esq which arthur opened with a start and a blush and read with a very keen pang of interest and sorrow and regard she had come to arthur's house fanny bolton said and found that he was gone gone away to germany without ever leaving a word for her or answer to her last letter in which she prayed but for one word of kindness or the books which he had promised her in happier times before he was ill and which she should like to keep in remembrance of him she said she would not reproach those who had found her at his bedside when he was in the fever and knew nobody and who had turned the poor girl away without a word she thought she should have died she said of that but dr goodenough had kindly tended her and kept her life when perhaps the keeping of it was of no good and she forgave everybody and as for arthur she would pray for him for ever and when he was so ill and they cut off his hair she had made so free as to keep one little lock for herself and that she owned and might she still keep it or would his mamma order that that should be given up too she was willing to obey him in all things and couldn't but remember that once he was so kind oh so good and kind to his poor fanny when major pendennis fresh and smirking from his toilet came out of his bedroom to his sitting-room he found arthur with this note before him and an expression of savage anger on his face which surprised the elder gentleman what news from london my boy he rather faintly asked are the duns at you that you look so glum do you know anything about this letter sir arthur asked what letter my good sir said the other dryly at once perceiving what had happened you know what i mean about about miss about fanny bolton the poor dear little girl arthur broke out when she was in my room was she there when i was delirious i fancied she was was she 
who sent her out of my chambers who intercepted her letters to me who dared to do it did you do it uncle it's not my practice to tamper with gentlemen's letters or to answer damned impertinent questions major pendennis cried out in a great tremor of emotion and indignation there was a girl in your rooms when i came up at great personal inconvenience day me and to meet with a return of this kind for my affection to you is not pleasant by gad sir not at all pleasant that's not the question sir arthur said hotly and i beg your pardon uncle you were you always have been most kind to me but i say again did you say anything harsh to this poor girl did you send her away from me i never spoke a word to the girl the uncle said and i never sent her away from you and know no more about her and wish to know no more about her than about the man in the moon then it's my mother that did it arthur broke out did my mother send that poor child away i repeat i know nothing about it sir the elder said testily let's change the subject if you please i'll never forgive the person who did it said arthur bouncing up and seizing his hat the major cried out stop arthur for god's sake stop but before he had uttered his sentence arthur had rushed out of the room and at the next minute the major saw him striding rapidly down the street that led towards his home get breakfast said the old fellow to morgan and he wagged his head and sighed as he looked out of the window poor helen poor soul there'll be a row i knew there would and begad all the fats in the fire when pen reached home he only found warrington in the ladies drawing-room waiting their arrival in order to conduct them to the room where the little english colony at rosenbad held their sunday church helen and laura had not appeared as yet the former was ailing and her daughter was with her pen's wrath was so great that he could not defer expressing it he flung fanny's letter across the table to his friend look there warrington he said she tended me in my illness she rescued me out of the jaws of death and this is the way they have treated the dear little creature they have kept her letters from me they have treated me like a child and her like a dog poor thing my mother has done this if she has you must remember it is your mother warrington interposed it only makes the crime greater because it is she who has done it pen answered she ought to have been the poor girl's defender not her enemy she ought to go down on her knees and ask pardon of her i ought i will i am shocked at the cruelty which has been shown her what she gave me her all and this is her return she sacrifices everything for me and they spurn her hush said warrington they can hear you from the next room hear let them hear pen cried out only so much the louder those may overhear my talk who intercept my letters i say this poor girl has been shamefully used and i will do my best to write her i will the door of the neighbouring room opened and laura came forth with a pale and stern face she looked at pen with glances from which beamed pride defiance aversion arthur your mother is very ill she said it is a pity that you should speak so loud as to disturb her it is a pity that i should have been obliged to speak at all pen answered and i have more to say before i have done i should think what you have to say will hardly be fit for me to hear laura said haughtily you are welcome to hear it or not as you like said mr pen i shall go in now and speak to my mother 
laura came rapidly forward so that she should not be overheard by her friend within not now sir she said to pen you may kill her if you do your conduct has gone far enough to make her wretched what conduct cried out pen in a fury who dares impugn it who dares meddle with me is it you who are the instigator of this persecution i said before it was a subject of which it did not become me to hear or to speak laura said but as for mamma if she had acted otherwise than she did with regard to to the person about whom you seemed to take such an interest it would have been i that must have quitted your house and not that that person by heavens this is too much pen cried out with a violent execration perhaps that is what you wished laura said tossing her head up no more of this if you please i am not accustomed to hear such subjects spoken of in such language and with a stately curtsey the young lady passed to her room looking her adversary full in the face as she retreated and closed the door upon him pen was bewildered with wonder perplexity fury at this monstrous and unreasonable persecution he burst out into a loud and bitter laugh as laura quitted him and with sneers and revilings as a man who jeers under an operation ridiculed at once his own pain and his persecutor's anger the laugh which was one of bitter humour and no unmanly or unkindly expression of suffering under most cruel and unmerited torture was heard in the next apartment as some of his unlucky previous expressions had been and like them entirely misinterpreted by the hearers it struck like a dagger into the wounded and tender heart of helen it pierced laura and inflamed the high-spirited girl with scorn and anger and it was to this hardened libertine she thought to this boaster of low intrigues that i had given my heart away he breaks the most sacred laws thought helen he prefers the creature of his passion to his own mother and when he is upbraided he laughs and glories in his crime she gave me her all i heard him say it argued the poor widow and he boasts of it and laughs and breaks his mother's heart the emotion the shame the grief the mortification almost killed her she felt she should die of his unkindness warrington thought of laura's speech perhaps this is what you wished she loves pen still he said it was jealousy made her speak come away pen come away and let us go to church and get calm you must explain this matter to your mother she does not appear to know the truth nor do you quite my good fellow come away and let us talk about it and again he muttered to himself perhaps that is what you wished yes she loves him why shouldn't she love him whom else would i have her love what can she be to me but the dearest and the fairest and the best of women so leaving the women similarly engaged within the two gentlemen walked away each occupied with his own thought and silent for a considerable space i must set this matter right thought honest george as she loves him still i must set his mind right about the other woman and with this charitable thought the good fellow began to tell more at large what bows had said to him regarding miss bolton's behaviour and fickleness and he described how the girl was no better than a little light-minded flirt and perhaps he exaggerated the good humour and contentedness which, which he had himself as he thought witnessed in her behaviour in the scene with mr huckster now all bose's statements had been coloured by an insane jealousy and rage 
on that old man's part and instead of allaying pen's renascent desire to see his little conquest again warrington's accounts inflamed and angered pendennis and made him more anxious than before to set himself right as he persisted in phrasing it with fanny they arrived at the church door presently but scarce one word of the service and not a syllable of mr shamble's sermon did either of them comprehend probably so much was each engaged with his own private speculations the major came up to them after the service with his well-brushed hat and wig and his jauntiest most cheerful air he complimented them upon being seen at church again he said that every camille faux person made a point of attending the english service abroad and he walked back with the young men prattling to them in garrulous good-humour and making bows to his acquaintances as they passed and thinking innocently that pen and george were both highly delighted by his anecdotes which they suffered to run on in a scornful and silent acquiescence at the time of mr shamble's sermon an erratic anglican divine hired for the season at places of english resort and addicted to debts drinking and even to roulette it was said pen chafing under the persecution which his womankind inflicted upon him had been meditating a great act of revolt and of justice as he had worked himself up to believe and warrington on his part had been thinking that a crisis in his affairs had likewise come and that it was necessary for him to break away from a connection which every day made more and more wretched and dear to him yes the time was come he took those fatal words perhaps that is what you wish as a text for a gloomy homily which he preached to himself in the dark pew of his own heart whilst mr shamble was feebly giving utterance to his sermon End of chapter fifty seven